Um, Bill's here with his wife, Elaine, and uh, Bill's been a member here for about 10 years now. So Bill, come and uh, share with us God's word. Well, although my message isn't about Father's Day, I want to first of all take the opportunity to wish a happy Father's Day to everyone out there who is a father. One of God's greatest gifts to us is the family. Uh, He created the family. He loves the family. And in Greg Laurie's devotional this week, he said, a family can survive without a nation, but a nation cannot survive without the family. Moses said to the Israelites, you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you are at home, when you are on the road, when you're going to bed, when you're getting up. When I look around here, I see these kind of men who are teaching their children properly. And I commend you and I encourage you to keep doing so in a culture that is extremely challenging. I love Ladies' Church. Isn't it nice for someone to stand behind this pulpit and say that? For 45 years, I've spoken in different churches enabling ministry to happen in India. India is now will be the most populous nation in the world, 1.4 billion people. Every day, India grows by about 48,000 people, if you can imagine that. So it's unending trying to make ministry happen to reach that many people. I just am in churches constantly. So you can imagine, in 45 years of being in so many churches, how special Lydie's is to me because it's here that I met my wife. And we were married here. I went on the Lydie's Omer Amigal trip and uh, on the plane going over, I sat next to a secretary. Her name was Denise. Some of you may know her. I think she is absolutely one of the finest secretaries any church could ever hope to have. And... We're thankful for you, Denise. I got to know better as we went throughout the trip. Mark and Sharon Custition, they became very good friends. You may notice we sit with them often. And um, I never thought I would set my foot in places like Venice. I mean, when my foot touched the ground in Venice, I thought, I can't believe I'm here. Or Rome. And then I went on the ladies' trip to Israel. You cannot go to Israel without the Bible just coming alive to you. It's an incredible experience. But in the last several months, there were a lot of changes that happened very quickly. And I personally felt like ladies was gone. And I thought, how could this end? There was a church. And then there was a petition. And I went to the home of Sean Permar, 
and I expect you in the house, and he came out and greeted me, and he was so nice. I said, well, I bet you didn't have anyone who's driven 120 miles round trip just to come and sign this petition. And he was so gracious, and he was young. I mean, I thought maybe a few of us oldies might feel bad. He was young with a young family. And then I went in the house, and who do you think was there? Tim Lighty, another young guy with a young family. And Tony Capusta was there. Now, I've known Rich and Juliana before they were even members here. I met them in another church. But there was Tony. I mean, these are young people. I thought, whoa, what is going on? And then, shortly thereafter, the senior pastor resigned, the associate pastor resigned, the leader of worship resigned, the youth pastor resigned, and the organist resigned. And I said to myself, why is this happening? So I don't know if you've noticed the title of my sermon in the bulletin is Why? with a question mark. Now I'm going to give you what I understand to be why. You may not agree with that. That's okay. But nevertheless, I want to share with you what, what I think. The Bible says there is an evil force in this world. John 14.30 called the prince of this world. 2 Corinthians 4, 4, the God of this age, the evil one, Matthew 13, 19, the ruler of the world, John 14, 30, the devil, Matthew 4, 1. The devil, or Satan, was an angel known as Lucifer. He was a high-ranking angel with great power, beauty, and wisdom. He became proud and wanted to be worshipped. He was cast out of heaven and took one-third of the angels with him. Now, Revelation 5.11 indicated that the angels number more than 10,000 times 10,000. So this sizable group of fallen angels, now called demons, do the bidding of Satan. And this network of demonic powers helps Satan accomplish his purpose. And the purpose of Satan, according to John 10.10, is to steal, kill, and destroy. 1 John 5.19 says, We know that the whole world is under the sway of the evil one. And I believe there are demonic forces out there that want to destroy committed individual Christians. I think there's demonic forces out there who want to destroy marriages. I believe there are demonic forces out there who want to destroy churches. Certainly, Job experienced that. He was blameless, he was upright, he feared God, he shunned evil. The Bible says in one day, he lost all of his wealth, 500 donkeys, 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, and his family, seven sons and three daughters. And later on, his health, he was afflicted with painful sores from feet to head. 1 Peter 4, 12 says, Think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. And Ephesians 6, 16 says, Above all, Take the shield of faith wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And fiery darts were one of the most dangerous weapons in the ancient world. So why did Satan want to destroy Lighty's church? Well, I think one reason is something that none of us here fully comprehend. That Lighty's church has been a force 
for the kingdom of God for the past 25 years in ways that we can't imagine. And I can probably share best with you from the ministry I've been involved in. Do we have that slide that you could put up there? In, in 35 years, um, Lighties has made it possible for 71 church planters to be trained and equipped to work in India in 14 states. Now, what are those church planters like? Well, when they come and we accept them, they must make a commitment that they're going to be in ministry and serve God for the rest of their lives. In other words, they're making a life commitment when, the, when they join the church planting school. Secondly, they know they're going to be self-supporting, that they're not going to get any more funding from America or any place else. And I think that's why we get some of the top ones there are, because they know they need to depend upon God. And thirdly, we don't have lone rangers come through our church planting school. They must come to us under the authority of a mother church. Now, after all these years, I've seen more than once, our main ministries are training and equipping VBS teachers, training and equipping literacy teachers. I mean, in fact, India has more people who are illiterate than any other nation, 280 million. I mean, the population of the United States is 330 million. Think how many people there are that can't read. And so we train literacy teachers and we train church planners. We've had pastors come to us where their children are coming to our vacation Bible school and they say, well, when I was a child, I went to your vacation Bible school. I learned about Jesus, but I couldn't read. So I went to your literacy classes, which run for 10 months, and the first book I was awarded was my own copy of the Bible. And then I thought, more people here need to know about Jesus, this God who loves us. And so I went to the church planting school, and I've started this church, and now as a pastor, my kids are coming to vacation Bible school. That's kind of neat to see that happen. I first went to India in 1980. And in case you don't know it, you can get Montezuma's revenge when you go to India, only worse. And I had traveled around India for a while, and I was in the airport in Chennai and waiting for the luggage. And I thought I would check out the bathroom. So I went in the bathroom. This is 1980. Chennai Airport. There were holes in the ground, and it wasn't clean around those holes. And I said to myself, I am not ever going in this bathroom. Went out. The luggage still hadn't come. All of a sudden, everything went yellow, like you put yellow sunglasses on. And I broke out in a sweat from head to foot. I was drenched. I went in that bathroom. And then, when you get Montezuma's revenge there, you're bedridden. I mean, you are really hit. So I was in bed for a day, and we were traveling around. And a few days after that, I got food poisoning. I have never been so sick in my life as I was in a hotel by myself in India where I thought I was going to die, but I didn't want to die because I didn't want to die in India. It was awful. And I said to myself, I am never coming back to this place again. <laughs> my mind said worse things than this place. 
That was 1980. 1985, we started our church planting school, and my boss said to me, I want you to go to India and experience that. You can teach in the school a little bit, but I want you to experience what's happening. I said, no, I'm not going. He said, you're going or else you quit working here. And I thought about it. I did not want to go back there and be that sick again. I thought, well, I love what I'm doing. I better go. So I went to the airport. Still at the airport, I wasn't sure. And I got on the plane. And I remember that took off from New York. I was literally shaking like that because I didn't want to get that sick again. I taught in the church planning school for a couple of weeks. We had three classes, 12 in each class. Never got sick the whole time. 20 years passed. I was married in 2004. And in 2005, I wanted to take my wife to meet some of the people I'd worked with and see the ministry in India. And so we traveled about. We took five hours in a train up to Andhra Pradesh. And, um, we had an evening meeting, but they said, you might like to meet a couple of church planters here that have been involved in our ministry. So I said, okay. we said, okay. So we met this one, he shared what had happened and everything. Then we went to the second one, and he said, my name is John Mark. And he said, I now have a church, about 100 people, and I'm trying to raise up some Timothys. And he said, I went through the church planting school in 1985. Well, when he said that, I thought there were three classes and I taught in one of them. Is there a chance he could have been in my class? Now, I knew there was in my class an old man going through church planting. He named himself Lazarus. And so I went up to John Mark and I said, was there in your class an old man by the name of Lazarus? He said, yes. I said, you were in my class. Now, I ask you, about that time we had probably trained about 3,000 church planters. I ask you, what are the chances of me being exposed to one of those 12 20 years later with 3,000 being trained all over India? I believe God was saying something to me. This is effective. People are lasting in this. Then in 2009, uh, we had a conference for church planners where people could come in and share to get, and can, they could encourage one another. There was a fellow there by the name of David Diasagar. And uh, he brought 12 church planters with him that he trained. Now, he was the one who went through our school, but he trained 12 additional church planters, and they were all first-generation Christians. One was a rickshaw puller, one was a drunkard, one danced before idols, one was a witch doctor, and one was a beggar in the streets. And he reported that those 12 church planters had each, uh, those 12 church planters has each planted 12 churches, 100 villages were reached, with 600 new believers baptized. Then the other picture I want to show you is, is John Selvarez. This is a church planter who was trained, I think, in, in 1986. But we've been to his ministry, his Christian school, and uh, we were in a brand new church that was started in his ministry. It was, it was getting dark, and we, it was a thatched hut, and we went in, and the People were singing in Tamil. You know what they're saying? It was really kind of weird, to be honest with you, but what an experience to have. And so uh, when Bill Scott, the missionary who found our work, had his 
anniversary for being a missionary in India for 60 years. We went to India again, and I heard in person John Selvraj give his testimony. And I want you to hear what he said. He said, in 1976, I was led by the Spirit of God to minister in Tindavadam. There was about 200,000 people there, and 97% were Hindu. He says, when I first went to Tindavadam in 1976, no one would offer me hospitality. No one would even run a room to me simply because I was a Christian. So he said, I slept on a railway platform with the gypsies the first two months. Now I'm asking you, how would you like to feel called to a ministry and you don't have any bed for two months? What a way to start. And then he said, I suffered a lot the first 10 years. I'm going, you suffered a lot the first 10 years? I don't want to suffer for 10 minutes. I mean, do you? He said, at times I had no food. I was beaten three times by RSS. I was put in jail in Kudalur for preaching the gospel. But he said, in 10 years, I learned about what I, the ministry we were involved in. He says, it was trained how to do effective discipleship and evangelism. And now after 35 years, he has trained 290 church planners to work with him. They've each started a church in four different districts of Tamil Nadu. And he says in these 35 years, 8,000 have been baptized. That's the caliber of person that we have. And Ladies has been responsible in the past 35 years for training 71 of those church planters. Recently, you did the Dollar a Day project and you reached the, the Rukula, Rukula Mucharukula. And these people were illiterate, backward, poor. They never heard the name of Jesus. It was an unreached people group. They believed in witchcraft and black magic. And after three years of ministry, 611 had made decisions for Christ, 146 baptized, and 780 attending churches. Now, I looked at ladies' budget. Do you know that there are 29 ministries that this church supports? I mean, I think one of John Niederhaus's things was missions. Get people out there spreading the word. We want the world to know about Jesus. I mean, Denny Barger, who's to speak there uh, here next week in Dreams Alive, minister in Jordan. The Yagelnikis with Love Cradle in Ukraine. Josh Jacobs in France. I don't know if you've seen the pastor. He's a video of the pastor. He's working really impressive. Betsy Stolfus in Spain. Mick and Kathy Sanders in Africa. And go on and on. And then there's a section in the budget of Ladies Church under benevolence. And there's 39 more ministries mentioned there. Haven of Hope, Evangelism and Explosion, Focus on the Family. I believe Lighty's Church has been and is a force for bringing the gospel to people literally all over the world. Amen. And the devil said, we got to put them down. I think it's the second reason why the devil tried to destroy Lighty's Church because when you're part of Ladies' Church, you're not just joining a church, you're joining a family. Ephesians 2.19 says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. My brother-in-law loves family. His thing is family. 
His kids, they, always, they went everywhere as a unit, and they've grown up and gotten married now, and they're still very close. I think he was a bit suspicious of me because I was older when I got married. I think I remember correctly, when I did get married, he said, welcome to the family. Whenever we visit him, he gives his sister and me a big hug. And when we go to leave, he doesn't say, love you, sis. He says, love you guys. That means me. I'm part of the family. And that's really the way it is with ladies. I met my wife here. I, I proposed in a Sunday morning here because of the church, not to put on a shell, but Lane wouldn't have been here had you not taken good care of her as a widow. And I would not have been here had you not been missions-minded. So it's because of the church that we met. We were married here. Gary and Cindy Filson wrote a song and sang it in our wedding. I miss Gary. I pounded him in the chest one day, and I said, don't you dare quit. But I forgot to tell him not to get himself fired. And... Allison Walbrand and Gina Schumacher catered our reception in the fellowship hall. I'll never forget that. We didn't go to a hotel, nothing wrong going to a hotel, but we were here in the fellowship hall like a family. I liked Ron Hughes because he was a Phillies fan, but uh, we would go to his house for choir parties at Christmas time. And you know, between our wedding service and the reception, there was an area where people were to gather. And the geese used to ge come there and do their business. And you know, area, I found out after the fact that Ron Hughes cleaned up that area. I mean, I would never have asked anybody to do that. He did it, never said a word. I'll never forget that. That's family. I've been in an itinerant ministry my whole life, and I'm in a different church usually almost every Sunday morning. Not now, I've slowed down some. I'm here more. But I only knew the pastor and the missions chairman. Otherwise, nobody knew me. When I started coming here more because I was dating Lane, people would say, hi, Bill, hi, Bill, hi, Bill. I thought, how in the world do all these people know my name? And we're so friendly. I'll never forget it. And then John Niederhaus not too many weeks ago, he actually sat beside me. And I said to him, you know, John, I said, when you were here, I always thought sermons were the most important thing because I'm a preacher. But I said, when I would leave, you would be at the door and you'd greet me and put your arms around me. And I said, you made me feel like I was really loved. He said, you weren't supposed to feel like you were loved. You were loved. devil says, we got to put that to end. And the third and final reason why I believe the devil wanted to destroy Lydia's church was Lydia's has always been committed to following the Bible and not yielding to the culture. Second Timothy 4, I mean, I really appreciate it about John Niederhaus. He stuck to what he believed the Bible said and all of us with him. Second Timothy 4, 2 and 3 says, preach the word for the time will come 
When men will not put up with sound doctrine, instead to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers who say what their itching ears want to say. Personally, I believe our nation is in trouble. We think it's always going to be good because it always has been. I'm not so sure. We maybe better learn how to speak Chinese. But Benjamin Franklin was asked, is this a republic or a monarchy? And his answer was, a republic if you can keep it. And Eric Metaxas quoted from Oz Guinness's book, A Free People's Suicide. And you can put this up there again, this is the last slide. Oz Guinness talked about the golden triangle of freedom. He said, freedom requires virtue, virtue requires faith, and faith requires freedom. If any of the three legs of this triangle is removed, the whole structure ceases to exist. Now I'm going to call to your attention, virtue requires faith. The natural man is depraved. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Romans 1, 28 and 29. Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. They had become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. I believe the only cure for depravity is Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. I believe the only hope for keeping our republic is virtue, and virtue requires faith. We need a great awakening. And we need Christians who not only come to Christ, but then affect other people by it. This has happened throughout the centuries. I mean, it started with Saul, who became the Apostle Paul. He persecuted Christians, and it was a willing accessory to the murder of Stephen, the first recorded Christian martyr in Acts 7.58. But Saul became a totally new person after an encounter with Christ. You can see this throughout the ages. I'll just mention a couple people who you might know. Maybe you've heard of Mel Trotter. In 1870, he abused his family, he neglected his children, he was fired from his job, he was a drunkard in the gutter and would do anything for a drink. He encountered Christ. He established a mission for down and outers in downtown Grand Rapids and established 50 more missions around the nation. Thousands of people with alcohol problems and down and outers had their lives transformed because of Christ through Trotter. Another person which I'm sure you're familiar with is Chuck Colson. Known as Nixon's hatchet man, Jeb Magruder said in 1974 that Colson was an evil genius. Colson encountered Christ and began a mission that has brought thousands of prison inmates to Christ. Take Christ out of the equation and all we have left is an evil genius. The story of Chuck Colson is rather personal to me because one of the churches I preached in several times was Trinitarian Congregational Church in Wayland, Massachusetts. And that church was attended by uh, Tom Phillips, who was the CEO of Raytheon. And he is the person who led Chuck Colson to Christ. And it made the whole story so much more real when you know some of the characters. Therefore, if anyone was in, in Christ, he's the new creation, the old is gone the new has come. And verses 19 and 20 say, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. 
And we can influence a few people. We can influence many people. We can even influence an entire nation. Uh, I personally am convinced, and I've got small print, so I'm going to put on my glasses just to make sure I get this. Of the 55 who met in Philadelphia in the Constitutional Convention to write our Constitution, 50 of them were unquestionably Christian and possibly 52. The late Dr. Emmy Bradford of the University of Dallas has documented this fact in his book on the framers of the Constitution. The book is entitled A Worthy Company. He has also researched the signers of the Declaration of Independence. He concludingly of the 56 men who signed the nation's birth certificate, definitely 50 were Christians. The, the book the Founding Fathers cite the most in their writings and speeches is the Bible. After that are other Christian sources. Eidsmo brings out this in his book, Christianity and the Constitution. He writes, the most cited thinkers were not deists and philosophers, but conservative legal and political thinkers who were often Christians. Christians today are portrayed as being judgmental. But the commandment that prohibits murder also protects life. The commandment that forbids theft also guarantees private property. And the the commandment that forbids adultery also affects the institution of marriage. Once again, I want to reiterate, when I had this chance to share with you, I do believe our nation is in trouble. And we as Christians need to begin speaking up and speaking out whenever we have the opportunity. Eric Metaxas, in his book, Letter to the American Church, says, in 1935, there are 18,000 Protestant pastors in Germany. 3,000 stood with Hitler. 3,000 spoke against Hitler. And 12,000 remained neutral and said nothing. If we do not speak out, we are not being neutral, but are contributing, I believe, to the success of those who oppose the faith. We need individuals and we need churches to stand up for the Bible and stand up for the culture. That's what Lighty has always said. I remember years when John used to put letters in the bulletin and encourage people to write those letters to folks. I believe this, that the church has withdrawn to a large extent, hoping the world would go away. We have turned an educational system, which was founded by the church, over to unbelievers. We have handed over the government to a large extent to unbelievers. And we have turned over the media to people who are certainly not believers. And I want to encourage all of us. We need to get involved in the school boards. We need to get involved in politics. We need to get involved in the media. We need Christian newspaper writers and announcers and everything. We need to infiltrate everything as much as we possibly can. We say that, and I'll close with saying this to you. Um, Lane's daughter and husband and family thought they would give us, as a Christmas present, tickets to the Phillies. And they said we could go June 23rd, 24th, or 25th. That's a Friday night, a Saturday, or a Sunday. I've never gone to a ball game on a Sunday, and I won't. Take Friday night if I'm speaking somewhere the next day. So I thought, we'll take Friday night, June the 23rd. 
They called us up a few weeks ago and said, you may not want to go on June the 23rd to the Phillies. Because it's pride night. When the Phillies are inviting you to come and celebrate Philadelphia's rich LGBTQ culture. So I wrote an email to the Phillies. I said, I've been a Phillies fan since 1950, even though I was young. The Phillies won the, I mean, they were in the World Series in 1950. I can tell you, Willie Puddenhead Jones was the third baseman, Granny Habner was the shortstop, Delanus was the left fielder, Richie Ashbury was the center fielder, Robin Roberts, number 36, was the pitcher, Kurt Simmons was the pitcher. I was at every playoff game and World Series game at Veterans Stadium in 1980 when the Phillies won the pennant. This is what I put in the email. And I said, I think baseball should simply be baseball, not political and certainly not anti-Christian. I am not coming to the game. Now, will that one email? Don't come. Now, will that one email do much? Probably not. But what if 500 of us wrote in or 1,000 of us? It's got to be in the Philadelphia area, more than a thousand Christians. Suppose we all said, We're not gonna, what do you mean Pride Night? And it's, it's crazy. June is Pride Month. Did you know that? We don't listen to the news much anymore because it's so slanted, but Lane knows through the computer how to get Bill O'Reilly's No Spin News, so we listen to that. And he was really upset. I didn't know this. The Los Angeles Dodgers are having their 10th Pride Night, 10th year they're having Pride Night. They just had it last night. And they are honoring the sisters, they're honoring, they're not just recognizing Pride Night, they're honoring the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence who are transvestites, who are a hate group, who mock the Catholic Church. They enter into churches during communion and mock what is occurring. And Bill O'Reilly is a good Catholic and he says, Catholics in California should be really upset by this. All Catholics shouldn't go to any Dodgers games. Last night, there were about 2,000 people uh, out at the stadium that were, uh, Dodgers Stadium, that were protesting. And I think that's good. I think it's time that we speak up. So in conclusion, I would commend you all for standing behind Ladies Church. A lot of you are doing a lot And I want you to know I believe it's really worthwhile because I believe the devil's scheme was to deceive us and do away with ladies' church. But ladies' church has and does have such an impact on the world. We don't want to let it die. Ladies is a family. I mean, I can attest to that for all the years that I've been associated with. It is a family. And nobody is going to bust up our family. And thirdly, we need churches today who will stand up for what the Bible teaches and oppose the culture. Each one of us needs to do whatever we can to whomever we can, whenever we can, to say, I've had enough. This is not true. May God help us to be the people that he wants us to be. Amen.